This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me pray for us first. Father, thank you for um, making yourself known through your son. Thank you that we can open up this letter, this gospel written by John, and we can have true knowledge of who you are. Lord, thank you that as we struggle with the things in the world, as we wrestle with uh, a myriad of different situations in our life, Lord, you bring grace and truth out of your fullness in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just give us a taste of who you are through your son. Lord, I pray that as we look at this gospel, as we spend the next few months leading up to Easter, that every day we're here considering Christ we'd be more impressed with who he is and and drawn closer to your presence so that you would form us, Lord. Thank you for this time and uh, thank you for this passage. In your name I pray, amen. So the prologue of John is like a pretty weighty section in scripture if you've been in um, church circles. Uh, I told my dad that we were doing all 18 verses and he kind of laughed like, whoa, like all of those verses? I'm like, well, it was, it, was, it was written as a story too, you know? Um, and I think the kind of the point of that is like, you can actually, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's been entire councils um, thinking about the first verse about the word uh, was God and was with God. So there's a, there's a lot of like super weighty Christian theology uh, that's sort of couched in, uh, in these first 18 verses and, uh that's good, and I, I love to, to read about those things, and, and um, it's, it's beneficial to consider every little sentence of what God is doing, and, and it's, it's his word revealing who he is, so we can get down into the, the nitty-gritty and talk about the, the verb form here and the verb form here and, and the implications of those things. Those are, those, that's a good way to study scripture, and we get into that occasionally. But this is a gospel that John wrote. Towards the end, he said he wrote this so that you might believe. Amen. He wrote this, this, this story of who God is through Jesus Christ. He wrote this story so that we would believe that God himself is revealed in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And so he's going to tell us a ton as we walk through the Gospel of John. We're going to look at seven I am statements. We're going to see Jesus through John, according to John. We're going to see Jesus make statements about himself. So we're going we're to stop as we walk through this Gospel on each one of those I am statements and hear what Jesus has to say about himself. And so we have this huge... Uh, letter, this story, this gospel, this proclamation of who Jesus is. And John, as he's writing this, I'm sure had, to, had going through his head, how am I going to start this off? What am I going to summarize first 
before I expand upon it as I go through the whole gospel of John. And I was, as I was wrestling with these verses, I was looking for maybe a thread that, that is seen through, through each of the 18 verses. I was looking for sort of like a main thing that he's talking about as he goes through the verses. And, and, and I almost could stop in, in each one. I was like, well, here he's talking about some eternality. Here he's talking about salvation. Uh, here he's talking about how we know God through Jesus. And, and there's all these, these different pieces of the puzzle. And, and honestly, it was like, I was kind of just like, Lord, I need your help. There's so much good things about who Jesus is in this first section. What do we focus on? <laughs> like, how do we make like a sermon out of this when there's so many things that are connected to this passage? There's so many good things tied to this. And, it, you know, and that's kind of when I was like, this is what we should talk about. The glory and wonder of Christ. Because I think that's what John is introducing us to. <laughs> He's saying, I'm about to tell you a lot about who Jesus is so that you can understand God, so that you can know God, so you can be in God's presence. But before I do that, I wanna talk to you about the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. And so that's sort of the theme that we're gonna be talking about as we work through these verses. The glory of Jesus. And it's not a word that we use very much, um, glory, but it's essentially worth or like weightiness or value or honor. Uh, this afternoon, uh, Matthew Stafford is looking for glory. <laughs> glory that was not found in Detroit. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, yeah, true. When, when, uh, when you're really tired and you wake up in the morning and you smell coffee, it's glorious. It has worth. It has weight. It has value. So we don't use that word very often, but, the, but this idea of glory comes up all over the place. When you call the first babysitter for date night and they say, yeah, that's no problem. That has glory. <laughs> you're like, whoo, <laughs> the fir first person I tried. So there's, there's all these things in our, in our life that have glory, that have weight, um, that, that we're drawn to. And John's saying in these 18 verses, he's saying, I want you to be drawn to the glory of Jesus. I want you to be drawn to the weight and the worth of Jesus himself. And we talked about uh, in, our, in our last sermon series, we talked about how all of the Bible can be summed up in essentially six acts. And I think I have a slide for that. All the Bible can be summed up in, he's shaking his head, no. <laughs> All the Bible can be summed up in, in six acts. And it's, we, we have uh, arrows that sort of communicate this. And we're saying that God created everything, but then there was the rebellion, act two. But then he promised to restore, act three is the promise. And then there was redemption, Christ showed up, died on the cross, lived a perfect life, and ascended to the Father. And then, then there's Act 5, there's, there's kingdom. What he's done, he's set on his throne, he's ruling and reigning, and we look forward to Act 6, which is the new creation. And so it's, it's fascinating to me, as we walk through these verses, we're actually going to see the glory of Jesus in John summarizing the whole of Scripture in his prologue. If we say that those six acts are, are what all of Scripture is about, it shouldn't really surprise us when John starts his prologue, 
he's going to talk to us about the kingdom of God. He's going to talk to us about what Jesus is doing and who he is, that he sort of couches that in the grand story of all of scripture. Look at the first verse. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. What does that remind you of? The beginning, yeah, Genesis. <laughs> what happened in the beginning? Hmm? What happened in the beginning? Yeah, God spoke. There were words. In the beginning, God spoke and brought everything into being. And John, that's where John starts, is he's trying to help us understand the glory and the weight of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we have. We sent a new telescope out, and we still haven't seen the end. <laughs> so, in the beginning, it's it's fascinating too. He says, "In the beginning, when when we're in the context of creation, he uses a very specific verb and says, before all of that that we still can't even imagine, as far as our eyes and our telescopes can see, in the very beginning, there was the continuous nature of who God was." So it's like before there was existence, God was already existing continuously. He's trying to communicate to us the, the, who Jesus is, and he starts with creation. And he says the, the glory of God in creation is that he existed past tense before there was something past tense. There's no way to describe what, uh, who he is and, and what he's doing within the realm of our, of our time. So John says, it, the, the glory of Jesus is that in the beginning, when everything started, God already was. He already existed. In verse two, he says, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And then he re-emphasizes that. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's like the one I'm telling you about. The one who has glory beyond everything that you could imagine. Everything that has being, everything that is created, exists because of who he is. Exists because of him. And he kind of doubles down and says... Oh, and if anything was made, it was not made unless it was made by him. He's trying to communicate to us the glory of the one that's going to be talked about through all of John. So you want weight, you want worth, anything that exists comes from the word. Who is God and who was existing before there was existence. That's, that's the glory of the Jesus that he's going to explain to us in the, in the rest of this gospel. And he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. 
there's discussion from commentators on what it means to be the light of mankind. But generally, people land on the idea that uh, as creatures, uh, we are created, uh, this bread is created, um, the buildings are created, but in a sense, uh, we have a special light as, as people made in God's image, we have a special light to relate to God himself. We, we are able to know God and apprehend him and draw near to him in ways that nothing else is. And it's that, it's that light, it's that connection to who God is that comes from Jesus himself, that comes from the word. Scripture says he's the exact imprint of his nature. He is the image of God. And, and we, can, we are who we are as image bearers because of what Jesus himself, what the word before creation determined to communicate to us. We are different. We're made in God's image because Jesus, the word, is the light of men. So he talks about the glory of Jesus in creation. He's eternal. He's before existence. He's the creator. Everything was made by him. And he communicates the image of God to us. This is the weight and worth of the one that John is going to spend the rest of his gospel explaining to us in creation. And so he moves on. He actually moves on to sort of the next part of the story. He moves on to the next part of the story and says the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If you have your uh, little John journals, you might want to write down uh, John 3.19 and John 8.12. 3.19 and 8.12 are just references to how John uses the light and the darkness. We'll get to that. We're still in. We're still in chapter one. He says the darkness will not overcome it. Our image is broken in the rebellion. It's there, but we no longer image God as we should. There are, uh, as Ryan shared, there are still broken things in this world. The rebellion is something that happened and has real and true consequences on our lives today, on our lives this week. And he's saying, even in light of darkness, which in John is, is synonymous with evil, is synonymous with a twisting of God's uh, created order, even in light of the reality that there is darkness, because of the glory of Jesus, because of how powerful he is, that will not overcome him. He will not, his plans his, for all of creation, as we look forward to the new creation, even in light of the rebellion, even in light of all of the things that are broken in this world, Jesus will not be overcome by that. He will accomplish his purposes. What's the, the glory of Jesus in our rebellion is that he is unstoppable. He cannot be overcome. He moves on in verse six. 
And here he begins to open up the glory of Jesus in the promise, in the, in the future-looking aspect of this grand story of Scripture. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. In Matthew, Jesus says John is part of a long line of prophets. All of these prophets are, are speaking to him. And if you look at John 5, he kind of expands on this in the Gospel of John. John 5, 39, he's talking about what the, the prophets have proclaimed. Verse 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. He's saying all the prophets, all the scriptures, all the things that have been proclaimed after the rebellion, everything that God has said, all of those things have been pointing to who I am and what I'm going to do. Verse 46, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses wrote of me. And so now, in, in the beginning of John, in chapter 1, we have a man sent from God as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, John is in the long line this is talking about John the Baptist, not John the Apostle who wrote the, um, the book that we're walking through. Um, and then the later chapters will expand on these things. But he's saying that long lines of prophets, all the way from what God said in the beginning to Adam and Eve, through Moses, through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, these long line of prophets. Now we've come to John. Aaron was way back there with Moses. But now we've come to John. Now we've come to John, and John is saying, I am not what's promised, but I am here to prepare the way for the glory of what is to come. I'm here to, to further uh, get you ready for the fact that everything that's been promised in all of Scripture that's, that's all about God himself and who he is and what he's going to do is, is about to show up on the scene. This is, this is the prophet that's in the, the long line of the promise section of the story, who's at the very end looking back at all the previous prophets and saying, look, it's about to happen. Everything that's been promised in all of Scripture is about to show up. Verse 9 gives us some of the content of that promise. It says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He's saying the darkness that was attempting to overcome the light, the darkness that was bringing brokenness and suffering into the world, God is promising to restore that. And the true light, 
which enlightens everyone now, as John is proclaiming, is about to come into the world. He's saying, what is the, what is the glory of Jesus and all the promises? He's the true light that will restore all things. All the promises center around who Jesus is and what he's doing because this is, the, this is the reality that's actually gonna make things the way they should be. This is the reality that's gonna, that's gonna make things light so that we can have a, a true relationship with God so that more of the good, right, and beautiful can spread all throughout his creation. All these things that are promised center around Jesus because he is the true light that enlightens the world. He goes on to talk about the glory of Jesus in redemption. We've seen his glory in creation. He existed before there was existence. He made everything. He gives us our image and our relationship with God as the word. We saw the, the glory of Jesus in the rebellion. And even though we push back, we actually can't overcome him. In the, in the glory of Jesus and the promises that all of those promises, all of scripture is about him because he is the one who would restore all things. And now we get the glory of Jesus in redemption. We get the glory of Jesus in redemption. Look at verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him Yet, the world did not know him. It should be a little bit shocking. Everything that's been promised, everything that we've been looking forward to, everything that would restore all things, the creator himself, the one who created all things, shows up, and is not recognized. He's not recognized. In 1 Corinthians, I really like the way Paul says the exact same thing. He's talking about how we do have wisdom as we look to who Jesus is. And in 1 Corinthians 1 or 2 verse 8, he says, none of the rulers of the age understood this, None of the rulers of this age understood the wisdom that's found in Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, showing up in life and in the flesh. It says, no one understood this because if they did, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have nailed to a tree the Lord of glory. If they loved the light, if they weren't in darkness, if they recognized who God is, the most glorious, the most weighty, the most valuable thing in all of creation, because he existed before creation and caused all of creation, when he showed up, they didn't recognize him. John goes on in chapter one. It doesn't get any better. He says he came to his own. 
and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. John 19 gives us a little picture of that. Verses six and seven. Pilate, who's a ruler of this world, says, take him yourself and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. He's like, hey, as far as I can tell, he hasn't done anything wrong. But what do his very brothers and sisters say? What do the people that he came to love and care for say? All the crowds that he healed, that he fed, everything that he did, what did they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. This is redemption. Jesus is actually coming into the world knowing that the world would not recognize him because we love the darkness, knowing that his own people would see him and cry out that he be nailed to a cross. Where do we see the the glory of Jesus in redemption? In love that would put himself out there for that. What kind of love is that to leave the glory of the Father? To leave eternity with perfect peace, harmony, and joy within the Godhead. To come into the world that you created, that you made for your glory, to then not be recognized by the world or your very own people, and to be nailed to a cross. What kind of love is that? That's the, that's the glory of Jesus in redemption. That, that's how determined he is to restore the relationship between God and man, that he would do that. And that's exactly what the cross did. Now God's wrath is poured out on Christ and there's none left for those who believe in him. Now that the perfect life of Jesus where he did nothing wrong, Pilate was right, I find nothing wrong with this man. He was, he was dead on. That perfect life is credited to those who rebelled so that we could be in the light, so that things could be restored. That's what John goes on to say in verse 12, chapter one. It says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. All who are believing in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the glory of Jesus in redemption. That he would love us, suffer for us, die for us. And after all of that, after not recognizing the Lord of glory through his work in redemption, he makes you a child of God.
He brings you into the family. This is why we say that it's not what we do that defines who we are. It's what God has done. This is an objective thing in history that Jesus has done in redemption so that you and I could be in the family of God. He's the one that takes the wrath. He's the one that lives a perfect life. And you are now united to him through, through faith, through belief in him. And because of that, you are now a child of God because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything you have or haven't done. It's trusting in the reality that you are just a darkened, rebellious sinner and that Jesus is the one who accomplishes redemption. It's believing that he is the one who defines who you are because you are unable. Verse 13 talks about the glory of redemption and emphasizes this reality that it's what God has done. It says, who it says we're become children of God who were born not of blood. Could be referencing the sacrificial system. Nor of the will of the flesh. So nothing in this world. Nor of the will of man. But of God. He's trying really hard to say. But the glory of Jesus in redemption is that all of this is from God. All of this is from God. This, this being like this new birth, this, this sort of second created act. Later in, in the gospels, Nicodemus will say, well, how can we be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus, I would like to be there for that story. Does he just like shake his head and sigh. But he's like, how can you be a teacher of scripture and not realize that God has to create things new? He's like, you're right. You can't go back in your mother's womb and be reborn. That's ridiculous. You're completely unable to do these things. This is, the, this is what John is emphasizing. He's saying God has to act. It has to be his will. It has to be his power it has to be what he does. It's a miraculous thing that re rebellious people would be brought into the family of God. You can no more do that than you can go be reborn again. <laughs> That's the point. God has to step in in redemption and connect us to his son so that you and I could be brothers and sisters in Christ. So that you and I could be in the family. This is the glory of Jesus in redemption. So he gets to this final section where he's talking about, he goes through creation, he goes through rebellion, he goes through promise, he goes through redemption. What's the next act of the story? Kingdom. He's doing something now. Kingdom is an important act because this is where we live. You and I are not accomplishing redemption. You and I are not looking forward to what Jesus will do on the cross. We're looking back. We're now in the, the kingdom aspect of the story. There's, it's true, we are looking forward to the new creation through the ultimate consummation of all these things, but we're in the kingdom part of the story. 
And he sort of ends his prologue, he ends this section, this beginning of this gospel of who Jesus is with kind of talking to us about what Jesus, the glory of Jesus in the sort of now reality of the kingdom. And most people think John actually wrote this while he was exiled in Patmos. There's a lot of argument about when the book was written, sometime between 65 and 85 AD. Um, won't get into all that. If you have questions, happy to chat with that. But, but these, he's, he's involved in kingdom work as he writes this gospel. And so he's telling us about the glory in Jesus as he goes through this whole story. And it makes sense then that he would, at the end of his prologue, he would say, now I wanna talk to you about what Jesus is doing as you and I, as we are in the kingdom, as God is doing things today. Look at verse 14. said all these wonderful things and now he says that word the word who is God the word who created everything the word who cannot be conquered the word who is promised became flesh and dwelt among us and now we have seen his glory now we have seen his worth now we have seen his weight now we have seen his wonder, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You might say, what does that have to do with the kingdom? Uh, we summarized our uh, purpose, our mission as a church by saying that we bring good to others as we're formed by God together. We bring good to others as we're formed by God together. This is a, a summary of what it looks like for us to be involved in the kingdom. And if you've leaned into any one of those things, it's not easy. <laughs> I mean, just think about together. This is a, a wide range of folks here very different paths in life, very different interests, schedules, places in society. Bringing this kind of a group together um, is, not that, is, is not that easy. And if you doubt me, just watch CNN and then Fox News and ask if how hard it is to bring things together. <laughs> it's difficult. And, and to be formed by God. You know, I was talking to someone over the last couple of weeks, it's like, I just don't like my sin. I don't like my desires some days. And I wish I had more an experience of who God is so that I look different. So I loved him more. So I cared for him more. Being, being formed by God, there's not just like a, a, a magic trick or a, a five-step program. And then all of a sudden God shows up and you're a different person. Those are difficult things. And bringing good to others. We talked about even in prayer this morning about some of the very large problems, um, even in Denver. You know, we weren't really going that far outside of the city and saying there's some really dark holes that need good. But good needs to be brought to this place. And so what, the glory of Jesus in the kingdom, the glory of Jesus as we go out on mission is that Jesus provides from his fullness. 
Jesus provides from his fullness. He provides grace and truth. He provides grace and truth. And even if we think about those two things in light of our mission, he shows us what good is. We know good because Jesus is the truth. And we have grace. We have favor from God that's not deserved when we don't provide good. It's from his fullness that he gives you grace and he gives you truth in every element of our mission. Verse 15, he reminds us of who Jesus is. He says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He's saying the one that provides grace and truth, the one who, who is out of his fullness provides for you is the one that existed before I existed, is God himself. And in verse 16, he expands on that and says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. From who Jesus is, we receive more of the good, right, and beautiful of God himself. We're reminded of who we are because of what Jesus has done. A quote from one of the commentaries I was reading, I think summarizes this well. He's talking about how Jesus came to fulfill the needs of his people. Listen to this. This is, this is the character of the God that you worship. He says, Jesus came not to receive from them, not to receive anything from his people, but to give unto them. That their faith, as we believe in who Jesus is, their faith may be led through the veil of his flesh to this rock of his Godhead. As we look at Jesus, the person, He's a real person and we walk through the gospel and we hear Jesus say, this is who I am. I am this, I'm this, I'm this, which we're gonna talk about. As we see Jesus working as a real person through the veil of his flesh, we actually see the true and genuine character of God. That's how we know God. That's how we draw near to him. That's how we experience his presence is that we, can, we actually can, can have a tangible reality of God because of Jesus the person is showing us exactly who our God is. The God that didn't show up to receive but showed up to give. And he says, as we rest in this view of God, we'll get a sure footing We'll have some stability in the rock of who God is in his essence and attributes against all assaults. So we're gonna walk through the book of John. We're gonna have Jesus, the man, the God man, tell us about himself so that you and I could draw nearer to God's presence. 
so that we could actually be formed by God himself, so that we could be resting in what God provides out of his fullness, his grace upon grace. So that when we, we go out on mission and, and, we, and we fall short, we know that it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has accomplished and about who God is. And we're gonna walk through all these different aspects about Jesus and, and we're gonna reflect on and say, Lord, help me look through the veil of the person of Jesus so that I can rest on the rock and foundation of the very presence of my creator the one who spoke everything into existence and is accomplishing his plan, is building his kingdom, and someday will create all things new and will be in his very presence. It's from his fullness. It's from the fullness of Jesus. And the fullness of Jesus is the eternal God that spoke everything into existence. John starts his prologue by saying, how can I cram as much glory and honor and majesty into this person that the world did not recognize? Because it's from his fullness that you actually begin to be in the presence of God and are transformed and are sent out to bring good to others. He ends this section, verse 18, by saying just that. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has made him known. So when when Jesus tells us who he is, he's teaching us about God himself. When Jesus is willing to sacrifice himself for others by being nailed to the cross and not being recognized, he's telling us about the character of the God that loves you. So as we go through the I am statements, my prayer for our church is that we would recognize more of the God that we worship, that we would see his character in the person of Jesus Christ and respond in worship. As we worship God, as we experience the creator of the universe, the one who brings light in the darkness, who restores us and is restoring all things, that we would rest in that and that would bring us so much joy and peace because we know more and more about who God is that we could bring good to others as we're formed by God and that we could do that together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us again and again of the glory of your son. Lord, there's so many other things in this world that that we see are glorious. There's so many other things that we see as more wonderful 
than Jesus himself. And we need your help. We need your spirit. We need your son to open our eyes to see the glory and majesty and beauty of Jesus. There's so many ways we can talk of his glory. I pray as we move forward in this series, I pray as we look at the different I am statements and Jesus tells us who he is, that that would give us a real sense of your character because that's who you are. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. In your name I pray, amen.